Learn Persian with Chai in Conversation, interview with Farnoosh Torabi. And welcome to this Growing Up Iruni interview with Farnoosh Torabi, host of the So Money with Farnoosh Torabi podcast and author of the brand new book, A Healthy State of Panic. I've been a huge fan of Farnoosh's for so long. When I first came across her podcast way back in 2015, I knew I'd found a kindred spirit. In fact, after I watched her at a panel discussion in a podcasting conference, I introduced myself by saying, My name is Layla. I also have a podcast and I love talking about finances. A little known fact about me here is that finance is one of my favorite topics. I love talking about investing, about money psychology, about how to build businesses, all things that Fanish covers on her show. Her recent book is about fear and how fear is seen as a negative emotion, but when viewed correctly or differently, how it can actually help you in your life. It was such a joy to talk to Farnoosh. And without further ado, here is my interview with Farnoosh Torabi. So Farnoosh Torabi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Layla, thank you so much. Layla June. <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of technical difficulty, so we have to jump right into it. <laughs> we have a shorter time. We got it. We're, we're Iruni. We can, we can hustle. We can do I it. I know, but we've had a long buildup for this. So I'll tell everyone, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I met you many years ago at a podcast movement conference. Do you remember oh, this? <laughs> I, I think I intentionally have forgotten everything about podcast movement. Nothing. Really? <laughs> okay. Well, it was like 2017 or 2018 and I saw your name and you have the same name as my aunt. And I'm pretty sure I listened to your podcast before because you did a, a episode, Mr. Money Mustache. Yes. So I'd heard that and I was like big into the fire movement, but then you were coming to the podcast movement and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I went up to you afterwards and I was like, I'm Iranian and I love personal finance. And you were oh. like, girl, you're my people. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, I mean, that's that's quite the Venn diagram intersection, you know, like Iranian, like your aunt's name has is my name. Exactly. And she's <laughs> not very popular or common in in. Farsi in, in Iran. So, oh, is it not? I've, okay. I've met three Farnushes in my entire life. Really? Some men, some men, some women. Yeah. Okay. So, so Farnush Nuri is my aunt, and yeah, I love that name. It's it's a beautiful name. Thank you. But yeah, I was so excited, and I I saw your talk, and you were just it was you just started your podcast. You were doing the like seven days a week. Yes. Was that when I was on the panel with the two other yes. gentlemen? Yes. Uh huh. I remember that. I that was in Austin. Dallas. Right? Dallas? Okay. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, mm-hmm. that, so- that was a good podcast movement. I liked that. The very first one I went to was very broy and I wasn't, I didn't enjoy myself. Oh, but yeah, since then, and then I actually co hosted a show with you. So, and I love personal finance. I love your show. I appreciate everything Thank that you, you do. And this new book was fantastic. It was a lot of fun to read. Oh, good. That means so much. Thank you. Yeah. And there's a lot of, for people in this audience, there's a lot of references to, I mean, it's, you couldn't have written it with the, without the background that you have with your parents coming from Iran. Um, There's a lot of references to that in the the book. There's a lot of references to your, like growing up child of immigrants. You have a lot of Farsi references. So a lot of fun. 
Yeah, good. I'm glad I, I left those um, Easter eggs for my Iranians in the in the in the reading room. But yeah, thank you. I, I it means a lot. Absolutely. And speaking of fear, like you sent an email about this yesterday about showing your mom the book. But can you talk oh, about yeah. that a little bit? Because yeah. a lot of it is about your family, about your mm-hmm. parents, uh, about their struggles as immigrants. So how was that? Oh, my gosh. It was terrifying. <laughs> but as I say, you know, when something feels t- terrifying, maybe there's an opportunity, you know, and and this book for me was just a deep unpacking of my life. It started as intentionally as a memoir, but thankfully it wasn't just that. I think it would have been a very sloppy memoir. My editor wanted me to really find the big idea throughout the, like what is the big pattern or the themes that are showing up in a lot of your stories about childhood, but also adulthood. And it was this element of fear, but you're right. My mother has been a central character in my life and thus a central character in this book. I've I tell stories in this book that I've never shared with anybody, including my mother. And I think like anybody who writes narrative form and reflects on their lives and includes people in their lives and gets personal, there's an element of fear because you're worried that your interpretation of events is not theirs. And will they be offended? Will they be upset? Will they be confused? Will they feel outed in some regards? And so as I was writing the book, I I had a great book editor, Suzanne Kingsbury. And mo- here and there, I would ask her, I said, I say, Suzanne, am I throwing my mother under the bus? <laughs> I really don't want to. She's like, no, no, no. Actually, because I think I'm so close to the material, I feel like it's such a unveiling of our privacy but to the reader, it comes across, I hope, and to Suzanne, my my coach, she said, it's coming across like your mother is actually the hero here. Absolutely. You know, you're showing her vulnerability, but you're also showing how she paved the way for you and showed you the best that she in the best way that she could. I mean, not all parents are perfect. My mother was 19 when she came here, new to America, motherhood, marriage, all of it. And so I have to, in reflecting that on all of that, I I have so much empathy and understanding now. At the time, maybe, you know, I didn't. I don't understand my mother. Why is she so strict? Why is she so quiet sometimes when I want her to be more communicative? And I think it's because she was also struggling with her own fears of loneliness and rejection and finding her way in this country. Right. And so the book is called A Healthy State of Panic, and it's about fear and about it starts off with a story of how you were called Tarsu as a child. Yeah. Which, can you talk a little bit about that? What sure. is Tarsu and what does that mean? Tarsu, I feel like I'm taking your job right now. Tarsu <laughs> is, uh, well, Tars means fear. And Tarsu is sort of like fearful one. I think we typically call it's a, it's a, it's a, tease that we often attach to children or people who are being childlike. Oh, because even in the Iranian culture, fear is a taboo or fear is not considered bravery or courage. It's sort of said in a mocking uh, context. So as a kid, I was the Tarsu because, oh, I was so scared. My mother, again, intentionally raised me to be afraid of strangers and all of the things. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that my friends, American friends could do easily without any second guessing, you know, things like sleepovers and ice skating and eating sugary cereals and 
<laughs> so it was also the 80s, let's be honest. And Worcester, Massachusetts back then was a pretty rough city, second largest city in Massachusetts. And even if it wasn't for my mother's fear mongering, it was it was inevitable that I was going to become a scared kid because of the way that the media was playing up the crime, Absolutely. the way that the milk cartons were you know, putting photos of kids that had been snatched. Like that's the first, that's the first thing you're going to learn about, like before you've even had your cereal. Dorud everyone, Layla here with a quick message. If you're enjoying this conversation and would like to hear more like it, I highly encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. In addition to giving you updates about our interviews, we send out a weekly email where we talk about Iranian culture and the Persian language. The emails are short and sweet and just give you a few ideas to ponder and inspire you on your learning journey. You can sign up for that and find out a lot more about us on our website at chaiinconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Now, back to the interview. So it was the perfect storm, I guess, for me to become this Tarsu. I was, but back then I would use fear in not in the healthiest ways, right? I was a kid. I didn't know. So I would overreact. I would throw myself into oncoming traffic because I thought that the man in the schoolyard who was a dad who wanted to take me home or rather take me to my mom's car across the street was going to try to kidnap me. I had a substitute teacher in, fifth, in, in, in kindergarten, which was unannounced. He just showed up. Oh, wow. And I ran out of the classroom <laughs> Banging on the other teachers' doors, begging them wow. to save us from this stranger who had wow. come in. Yeah. And it was so bad. My my teachers had to have a conference with my mother. They were like, this girl is on edge all day. Wow. And we want to make sure everything's okay at home. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it, and it was like, you know, but my mom was just over-indexing a lot on the fear because Again, she was in her, at this point now, her early 20s. Can you even imagine? I'm in my 40s. I don't know what I'm doing as right. when it comes to parenting. And right. so what is it? Where does well, that leave someone not, who is in her 20s? It's not just that, though. I think that generation of like Iranians that came here, it's not, I mean, think about it from a financial standpoint. They lost everything. everything. And like as a person who loves finance, like we're saving all the time. We're talking about IRAs. We're talking about this, that. Like they they did all that. Even if they did all that, they had savings, they had homes, they had land. They lost everything and started from zero. Like their right. fears were not unfounded. Exactly. So we are carrying that with us all the time as children of that generation. At the same time, they are so brave. I say the irony is that my parents and so many of their immigrants of their generation who were from war-torn countries, they came here. Yes, uh, on the one hand... They gave up everything for my parents. The biggest thing they gave up was their family. They were young, so it wasn't like they lost land or money, but my dad was here to get educated. So he had some hope, some hope and promise here. But my mother, especially to like leave her family at that age and her sister and her brother and her cousins. And yet they do this really brave thing. And then they come here and they're like, the risk meter is tapped out. You know, right. like we are not pushing the envelope anymore. Completely, completely. We are not pushing our luck. Right, exactly. And yeah, reading the book and knowing your trajectory, I was surprised. Like, I mean, it's such a vulnerable book and you really put everything out there every step of the way, how you were really hesitant. But looking at you just from the outside, like, I'm glad you wrote that because I would have never known looking at you from the outside. It's like you've done 
incredibly brave things every single step of the way, including, you know, writing this book. <laughs> I think it was very brave. I'm putting it all out there, but also just like leaving these kind of safe trajectory jobs. You know, Iranians are famous for telling their kids, like, be a lawyer, be a doctor. Those are very safe. But then you not only didn't do the safe thing, but you went out on your own and like you've been doing this podcast on your own. That's incredible to me. Yeah, I thank you for saying that. I think that, yeah, that I get that a lot. Like how I don't understand how somebody yeah. who has your career, who has to always be putting herself out there yes. also harbors fear. And I say, well, that's it. You know, I don't pretend to be fearless. I have learned how to have an... I think a, whole, a mature relationship with fear, which just means that I'm not exceptionally br brilliant or anything. It's just that I fear and I go way back. And I guess that's my advantage. <laughs> but as an adult woman, I couldn't I couldn't be where I am if I was always overreacting to fear like I was as a kid. If I was like what the culture says, even now you have to fight your fears or ignore your fears or what we our instinct sometimes tells us when fear arrives is that we have to maybe just give up. And instead, I have always, not always, I've in, it's more of a, a recent recognition in my like late 20s and 30s is that when fear shows up for me, I know it's not going to just go away on its own. It's That's not how fear works. My best bet is to turn to it and say, all right, what is the message that you want to deliver to me? I may listen to it. I may not, but we're going to have it. We're going to have it out which is more than we ever do with fear. Right. And something that maybe, I, I don't remember this coming up in the book, but uh, I think a good example of this in your life is that when you were working in a more safe job, you made a point to have like a year's worth of savings yes. so that I think that stuff is super important. Like look at your fear and then see how to make yourself as like safe as possible. Exactly. There's so many things. When making a brave decision. Yeah. And I think I get that from my Persian dad. I think that he did do more of the safe things in life. And my mother, had she been given a chance to pursue a career really, and someone had said to her, what do you want, Shada? You know, and how can I help you? She never got those messages. You know, I, I did. So had my mother gotten those offers, I think she would have been, been the entrepreneur. She has a little bit more of a, a zealousness to her. And I think that's why maybe she works well with my father. They didn't always, but you know, there there is a, a good pairing there. And so with my dad's teachings of walking the straight and narrow, and then pairing that with my own ambitions to push boundaries, I think that's where that's where the comp that's where like sort of you see my life play out, where yes, I am doing all these sort of like out there things, risky things, but never without a plan. Exactly. Never without a life floor after a net to fall back yes. on. And that is the fear that has helped me, right? So I I think that the fear of uncertainty merit merited its own chapter in the book. That's something that we all grapple with. But when I fear uncertainty, and that's a lot of times in my career, how can it not be present? <laughs> I feel like my job is to use that fear to protect what that fear wants me to protect, which is my security and my sense of control, which doesn't mean that I have to sit here and try to guess 
where the economy is going to go or guess if someone's going to give me a job. It means what are the things that are real and secure and things that I can control within my reach, which is my ability to save, my ability to pay off debt, my ability to bring down my expenses, my ability to create a plan, which may not work out, but at least it's something. And to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Whereas I think often when the fear of uncertainty arrives, our our thought is like, I just have to throw my hands up in the air because what is what is life? What can I control? Like I'm gonna just give up. Right. But absolutely. it's actually a calling to harness your resources. Absolutely. And then you've talked about this a lot. So your name is Farnoosh and your little brother who's 10 years younger is Todd. <laughs> I love, I love that. Uh, and your parents actually talked about that. You have a really sweet episode where your parents came on your podcast and they kind of you were like, Why did you name me Farnoosh and this <laughs> kid Todd? Which I love. Okay, you want to know this? I, I want to know that. Yes, tell <laughs> tell the listeners the so, story. I love the story. It's sort of implied in that he is almost 11 years my junior. So like many immigrants who come here, the goal, you know, it's not to completely assimilate, but <laughs> look, everyone in my family changed their names. My dad changed his name to Adam. My mom changed her name to Sheila. I was given the opportunity to change my name and I I really thought about it. I experimented with it. I write about it. I was Nikki, Ashley, Christina, Tina. It it never stuck and then I just, you know, ended up being Farnoosh forever and I think I'm so happy for that. My brother came 11 almost 11 years later. At this point my parents are living in like a suburb. They had they're living in a development, a Toll Brothers development, you know, where everything in our closet is from the Gap. And my my parents had this Iranian couple friend from Bethesda, Maryland. The father was a doctor. The mother was a homemaker. They had beautiful children. Their kids went to Georgetown. Their son became a doctor. That son's name was Todd. <laughs> so my mother <laughs> was like, and from here on, thou, thou, your name shall be Todd. You know? And so, yeah. but actually his first name is Ali. Okay. Which he never, he actually, like, I think he might have even gotten rid of it because he was realizing that when he, and Todd's his middle name, but we always called him Todd, but when it was still on his license and whenever he would go to the airport during like 9-11, you know, or that post 9-11 or during the Iraq war, he would always get pulled out. Wow. Because he looks very more irony than I do. He's darker. He, you know, um, he looks, he looks like me, but he looks like I, people don't know where to place me sometimes. Like if you know my, if you're familiar with Iranians, you immediately know I'm Iranian. But if, but otherwise you're like, are you Greek? Are you Spanish? Are you Israeli? I love that. I love that I'm sort of this like. Ambiguously ethnic. Ambiguously ethnic person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my brother is like, he's, he, he gets screened a lot and at airports and stuff. And well, b- back in the day. And, and so he just was like, I don't want the distraction. I don't want to be, I don't want to not make my flight. It's kind of sad, but he did drop the alley from but his. Does he feel like a Todd? Does he seem like a Todd? Like he embodies Oh my Todd? gosh. We joke about it because there are a lot of jokes about Todd's, right? <laughs> There's this famous comedian who, you know, Todd is like that guy, you know, who's like sort of the bro and the jerk and the entitled one. He's not that. Okay. Not at all. But I think that I write about how we become our names. Yeah. And I think that my brother would probably surprise people because we have a sense of who Todd is in our minds and he's 
nothing like that. He's like, we think Ken dolls, you know, I think Todd, right. I think Ken, I think Brad, I think. <laughs> right, right. That's not him at all. He's actually more Farsi. He speaks Farsi better than I do. He he knows how to read and write in Farsi. Because also I want to mention that, you know, because he was born in the 90s, um, in the late 1900s, as we say now, <laughs> that it was a safer time to go to Iran. It was like this window, right, in the 90s where you could go back and forth. My grandparents came, my parents went, and I was already in college though. So I missed out on those trips and he would go and spend a month in Iran oh, wow. during his summers and got, got to know our cousins. And so I think it's really interesting that the Todd has probably more of an attachment to our our roots. Um, whereas I struggled with that so hard in the 80s, feeling kind of isolated as like the only right. girl who was from Iran and didn't have a connection to anybody um, overseas. And that said, though, Farsi was my first understood language. I didn't speak English going into preschool. And it was a quick a quick learn, but I, I always like to, it's a bragging, right? I'm like English is my second language, you know, <laughs> but of course I speak English much better now. Right. Right. But yeah. So then with the age gap in like the eighties was also like the Ron rock hostage crisis, all that kind of stuff. Like how is his relationship with fear compared to yours? Like, was he also Tarsu oh, or is yes. he- is yes. he okay? Interesting. Yes, very much. It's in our DNA. I de I definitely think there is a biological over-indexing of fear in our in our family, in in probably more on my mother's side of the family, because I write a lot about my grandmother too, and how she was like our matriarch of fear. She was the one who had the foresight because of the fear of everything that was going down in Iran in the late 70s to encourage her children to leave, Interesting. which is a hard thing for a mother to do. You're very torn. On the one hand, you don't want to be distant from your children, but on the other, being close means their future is uncertain. So her, her healthy panic got my parents out. And I think it's, it's part of who my mother is too, very much. And then it, we inherited it from her. My brother has more, has had more struggle with anxiety than I think I have. I think that, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should do an episode with my brother. Yeah. I'd love to. Because I think he's gone through a lot of, he's done a lot of work on his own ability to sort of, he meditates. He has a lot of sort of tools in his arsenal to help him with his anxiety. And I think part of it is hereditary, but I think a lot of it too could just be that he had a lot of pressure growing up as my brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With a sister who's 10 years ahead and seeing what I'm doing and wanting to do the same, wanting to maybe be a homeowner in my, I was a homeowner in my twenties. He right. wasn't able to, because it was a different economy, frankly. I knew immediately what I wanted to do. He didn't. And I think he struggled with that. I think there was a story about how he transferred colleges because he, my parents really wanted him to go to UC Irvine uh -huh. because it's, it's a great school. And he didn't because there was no social life there. He got there and everybody would go home on the weekends and he was lonely and he was kind of in a rut. So he transferred to another school and thankfully my parents supported that. But in the beginning they did it and that was a struggle. So I think he's had, I think that he 
is more of a people pleaser gotcha. than I am. Gotcha. 100% more of a people person pleaser, people pleaser. And so he's the, I had the I love my parents, but I got out of dodge quite quick. And right. he stuck around and I think that even to this day I think my parents have more of an influence on him than they do me. But but I remember being his age and how I had to learn a better way. I had to create boundaries and that's what I try to tell him sometimes. I'm like, "Todd, he's like, but how can you do that? They're right. your family." And I'm like, the the relationship actually gets better when you create those boundaries. You may not it may not seem that way right now, but you're getting trampled on. And if you create boundaries, when you give your family ultimatums, like I did one time my mother when she oh. was not very charmed and happy with my now husband and the relationship, nothing against my husband. She just right. written about it in my last book about how I'm the breadwinner and she was like skeptical of that. Wow. Yeah. And I said to her, here's, here's two, what are you more afraid of mom? I played, a, I played the fear card. I said, are you more afraid of me falling in love with a man that you don't approve of at the time, like this relationship, not the man, the relationship that right. you don't like endorse? Or are you more afraid of me never, ever, ever giving you any more updates on my life? Wow. And at that point, I think that's – I, and that's a healthy way of sort of analyzing situations sometimes, right? Like right. I'm actually more afraid of the latter. And so I think I should probably change right. my attitude. And she did. You know, She's apologized. We've reconciled. It's good now. But it had to start with coming to terms with – what are you actually afraid of? You know, because you push pressuring me because you're afraid to do something that is not is going to make me unhappy is going to backfire. And then you'll wow. have something even more frightening to deal with. That's huge. I feel like a lot of parents or kids of Iranian parents need to hear that because it's copy paste that script, y'all. I know that is what so are you more good. afraid of? Steering your fear that I'm going to do something that you don't like but that will mean my unhappiness or the fear of never getting updates because I just can't deal with this feedback. That is so <laughs> it's not, good. It's not working for me. That's actually, I mean, I went through that. I feel like I've, I've told uh, some younger friends this now that the period where you're like trying to figure things out to where you get married and you get settled is such a difficult relationship with like Iranian mother and daughter. I feel feel like that's the hardest period of time. Yeah. And for me, I mean, we have this whole, maybe it parallels with the whole, like in Iran, you're a different person outside of the house as you are inside of the house. And I feel like I internalized that. And I was just like, okay, I guess they cannot handle it. This is the person I am to my family. And then this is the person I am like to, so I stopped giving updates. Like that yeah. was for years. It was just like, I would just do my own thing. And it was like, I would still talk to my mom, but not, we weren't as close as we could have been yeah. So if I'd had that script, that would have been amazing. <sighs> yeah. I think um, – I don't know why. I I think it was the New York energy in me. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. How did you get that? <laughs> I think amazing. I was just like – I was a t I was a television producer. I didn't have time to waste. I was like, this is it. This is where we're at. This is the center of conflict. I love to hear it. And then how do you feel about your kids now? Like you're in a completely different position than your parents were, obviously. How is your relationship with your kids? Like what do you try to instill with them about bravery and fear and, and all that stuff? Well, whenever they feel scared, I never say that's not a good thing or 
try to be fearless whenever whatever they're feeling, you know, whether it's sadness or anger or fear, I don't want them to feel small over it. I let them sit in it for a little bit. I don't want to be the mom who's like, stop crying. Why are you crying? Why are you upset? Why are you happy? You know, I think <laughs> I think rarely we say that, but I think it's just important to let my kids and all kids know that all feelings are valid. And this is not me talking. This is like all the therapists and all the books I'm reading about how when we are able to let all of our emotions play out in a in a sort of, you know, in a healthy way and give ourselves the space and the place to express our feelings, we end up being happier. There was actually a study this year that was done across multiple universities. They had two cohorts. One group was asked to give their reaction to these quote unquote bad feelings that we characterize in our culture, like sadness, anger, fear. And then, and you know, the cohort they found that was sort of looking at all these emotions as either neutral or good was happier than the cohort that looked at those, examined those, those emotions and necessarily thought these are not good ones. You know, we need to fight them. We need to push them down. That happiness is the, is the goal. And yes, happiness is the goal, but on the road to happiness, I think that it requires knowing yourself and being comfortable in your skin. And have you come across that either it's Hafiz or Rumi poem, exactly what you're talking about? Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, where, but I want but, it. I want it. And, and okay, it's not a t-shirt. Yeah, I'll find it for you. But it's like the emotions can come to your door and you just welcome them, but you don't like let them come into your home, but you still acknowledge them and welcome them. I don't know exactly what it is. I'll find it for you. Oh my gosh. Well, I never saw that, but I do talk about how a healthy state of panic is your permission to bring fear to your doorstep. Yes, exactly. Be the host though. So often we treat fear as this like guest that's overextended its stay and a guest that might be rude and uncompromising. No, we are the adults in the room. We are the human beings in the room. When the fear shows up, we can still have a cordial relationship, but we have to remember that the power tilts in our favor and we're the ones that have the agency and the choice to decide what to do with it. And I, in my life, I, I have found many ways to use fear in, in positive, healthy, constructive ways with money, with my career and my relationships, with my relationship with myself. And I'm really excited to bring this out. And I think people are ready for this conversation. We're so tired of this toxic happiness, wellness. You know, it's like, can I just be real for a minute? Right. Yeah. But that's funny. I read the doorstep thing and I was like, oh, she's about to bring up the Hoppas or Rumi. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whichever one it is. So I'll find that and I'll and I'll send it Thank to you. you. <laughs> it's very, very applicable. But something I always ask um, my guest that I'd love to know. So you're so Farsi is your first language. So do you still speak it? What's your relationship with the Persian language right now? Oh, it's so funny. My parents were just here visiting for a couple of weeks and we go back and forth, English, Farsi, English, Farsi. Then their friends came, their friends for, from long, long ago came to visit. So we were all in the house and they, my parents, the parents, the adults were all, well, I'm an adult, but all the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. my parents and, <laughs> yeah. and their friends were all speaking in Farsi. And so I'm much better at 
understanding Farsi. I understand almost all Farsi. It's the dialogue that sometimes stumps me, but I have to say when I'm around others, I, it comes back. It's like riding a right. bike. And I love being able to speak Farsi so that, you know, my kids will understand <laughs> what I'm saying or I'm in public right. with my mom. Although I have to be careful about that because there are more Iranians around than you might think. Yeah. And then what about your kids? Like what's their relationship like with being Iranian? They know obviously, and they're very proud of that. We, I'm trying to put more, it's where we live. There aren't a lot of Iranians. And we, when we were in Brooklyn, we, they would go to Persian school, Farsi school and that was, but you know, it's getting a little bit, my mom, I've asked her, I was like, can you do some zoom sessions with the kids? Like once or twice a week, my daughter, especially, I think she has a knack for languages and would pick it up quick. It's just, as you know, it's difficult to do it. You have to be very intentional about it, especially when you're not all Iranian or you're not in an Iranian community, but maybe they'll just start listening to you, Layla. I'll just turn them into you. <laughs> I, I tell everyone, everyone's like, do you, do you have a program for your kids? And I'm like, I feel like kids are too smart for a program like this. Like we need this kind of like lessons or whatever, but kids, you just put like, look for a SpongeBob Farsi on YouTube. SpongeBob Farsi. It's amazing. What? SpongeBob Farsi. It's amazing. Like I am too old for SpongeBob. I didn't watch it growing up, but the translators in Iran have made it into this, like, they, they have the best voices, amazing, like, culturally appropriate jokes. And My son is so into SpongeBob right now. I'm there kind you of... SpongeBob Farsi. That's all you need. You don't need, like, Chai Conversation lessons for kids. Okay. They're, <laughs> they're beyond that. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah, that's what I recommend, SpongeBob Farsi. That's the, the secret. So we have SpongeBob Farsi Tuesdays in my house. So we watch, like, and I just love, it's like Bluey, like, you yes. love watching Bluey. Oh, love we just watching. saw Bluey on stage. Oh, amazing. <laughs> that was a... Speaking of scary. <laughs> <laughs> 50 minutes, though. I was like, how long is this going to be? But it was less than an hour. It was just right. Um, I want to write a children's book, I think, based on this. I have so many uh, examples uh, in my life where, in my children's lives, they they remind me of my book a lot because my daughter for the example the other day, she didn't want to go to school because she had fallen down on the jungle gym and she had scraped her face. And so the next morning she's like, mommy, I don't want to go to school. The kids are going to point at my face. And as much as I wanted to keep her home from school, because we've all had that, you know, we all want to just like right. not deal with it. I said, okay, I get that you're scared. I understand. So when the fear, in this case of rejection, shows up, your job is sometimes to go where you are loved. And let's find out who loves us. I love you. Your teacher loves you. So let's write your teacher a note and let her know that you're scared so she can work with you and the classroom. And so we wrote her teacher a letter and she saved, gave it to her in the morning when she walked in. And I'm waiting to hear, like, is the teacher going to email me? And because basically we just said, you know, my Colette's really anxious. She's fearful, her face, all of that, worried the kids are going to make fun of her. So then the teacher decided to make this like a teachable moment and said, asked my daughter, would she be comfortable sharing her fear with the class? And she said, okay. Because it was a really, it's the class, the kindergarten classes, just they're like the most be loving kids. Um, they just, they just ooze love. And when she, expressed it, oh my gosh, what it resulted was more than I could have hoped for. One little girl raised her hand and said, Colette, 
My daughter's name was Colette. I also, that happened to me last weekend on the playground. And another kid said, you know what I'm afraid of? And everybody was just doing like a fear share and hugging. And it was my, she wrote to me, the teacher, and she just said, thank you for letting me know because it, it gave me something to open the classroom with this morning that was really, really touching and no one's going to forget this. And so when the fear of rejection shows up, go where you are loved, find the people you can trust and share your fears and you will find resolution. It was, uh, it was great. And I feel like that is a book. Like that is a little children's story that Definitely. all kids and adults can relate to. I feel like this book for me was that too. I, you know, you kind of forget all these stories. I, I had a really bad haircut in seventh grade and I actually switched schools because of it. That's a, that's one of those stories what? that would come out if I, yes, that's a, that's a story for another oh time. But I mean, reading this book kind of took me back to those feelings. And I think it's important to stay in touch with that because right now, you know, uh, it's easy to forget. You get caught up in day-to-day life. You are, you know, doing well with your work or whatever is going on. It's it's hard to forget those moments where you were really scared and alone and just feeling like nobody could understand you. So reading your book really brought those memories back for me in a really good way. I really appreciated Aww. it. Thank and you. you. You also tied it together with like what's going on with the, in Iran right now at the end. And I yeah, I think for our audience will absolutely love the book. It's it's wonderful to read and and to hear your experiences and remember our own experiences. So well, really I'd love to it. offer a giveaway to somebody in your audience who we can work it out later. But yes. I would love to gift this book to someone in your audience who really really wants it and sign it and and mail it out to them. So maybe I would suggest leave Layla a review for this podcast. (laughs) Let them know you love Layla and we'll pick somebody. You're very good at that, leaving the reviews. I always forget to ask people. Yes, good, good, good idea. We'll do a giveaway and and I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone thinks of this book. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking with me. Like I said, this is years in the making. I've been wanting to talk to you so much. And you're going to come on my show. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk about all things money, which is my favorite topic. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Can't wait. Thank you. (laughs) And talk to you soon. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Farnoosh. Make sure to check out her book, A Healthy State of Panic, wherever books are sold. To find out more about us and our Persian language resources, check out chaiinconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. We also have plenty of other resources there about Iranian culture and traditions. And until next time, Hoda Hafez from Leila. Leila.